Well, if you would, turn in your Bible to Luke 9. We're going to look at verses 37 through 43. And this is an interesting passage. At the beginning of the week, I looked at it and I read it, and it's another account of Jesus uh, cleansing a person who was uh, attacked by uh, a demon. And we have seen that before. And I thought, well, do do we want to cover this or is it going to be the same thing? Well, let me tell you, I have grown very excited about talking about this. It's funny, I was telling Chris earlier, I get really excited about every week's sermon because God teaches me something. And then I want to get up here and do an adequate job of teaching you what what God has taught me. Uh, So I think we're going to find some really, really good productive stuff in here. Today we're going to talk about faith. And faith is one of the most misunderstood concepts in the church today. And it's even more of a confusing concept when you hear people in our culture talk about faith. Now, faith is not wishful thinking. I know you've heard me say that before, and you probably heard me tell this story. At at a church where I used to serve, um, we were missing budget considerably, uh, a couple thousand dollars a month. And instead of having the kind of reserves we have here, we had about $20,000 in reserves. Now, if you got $20,000 and you're going in the hole $2,000 a month, it doesn't take a financial genius to figure out that you're in trouble, right? And so I went to uh, the pastor and I said, brother, we're in trouble. What are we going to do? And he pointed his finger at me and said, you don't have enough faith. (laughs) Now, let me tell you. Uh, this brother was a well-educated man who was a pastor and should have known what faith is, but even he didn't know what faith is. So I want to talk to you today about what faith is and what faith is not. It's not wishful thinking. It's not even wishful thinking with some Christian-y sounding words in it, okay? Because <laughs> that's what we do in the church sometimes. We say things like, well, we'll meet budget if you have enough faith. But let me tell you guys, God already told us how to meet budget. And that is the people in the church contribute to the work of the church, right? And so he didn't give me any special revelation where he said, hey, Steve, uh, I'm going to, I don't know how that would happen. You're going to strike oil in the back parking lot (laughs) and you guys are going to be okay financially. Well, he didn't tell me that. So I didn't have that on which to base my faith. And so faith is not wishful thinking. It's not even wishful thinking with some Christian stuff mixed in. Now, some people think and teach that faith has some intrinsic power to change things. Uh, When I was five years old on May 25th, 1977, Star Wars A New Hope debuted in theaters. Now, five-year-olds are pretty impressionable and they're extremely imaginative If people really did have the power to create their own reality, I guarantee you I would be a Jedi. Okay, I was five and I went to see Star Wars and I thought this is the most awesome thing ever. And I would sit there with my little toy lightsaber and I'd go and it would never fly to me. No matter how much I believed it would, no matter how much I hoped it would. Faith cannot engender new realities, no matter how much you want it to. Now, some Bible teachers teach that pretty much it works that way. And here's how they get away with it. They say, you know, you can believe God that you will be healed of your current illness. Uh, And if you believe him enough, you'll be healed. 
And that way, if you don't get healed, they say, well, it wasn't my fault. You didn't believe enough. Uh, that is a horrible thing to do to people. It's a horrible lie to tell people. And we want to make sure we understand what faith really is. It's not just Bible teachers, though. Lots of folks believe in the power of positive thinking. Now, there is, of course, some benefit to thinking positively. I mean, if I got up here and I thought, oh, gosh, God didn't teach me anything. I'm a horrible communicator. I should just sit down. Then I wouldn't preach very well, right? I need to be positive. I need to say, God has shown me this. I want to get up here and I want to passionately teach it to you. So that kind of thinking, you know, that, that just says, hey, I'm excited about this. I'm motivated about this. I want to accomplish this. That's great. But positive thinking can't alter reality. All the positive thinking and visualization in the world will not metaphysically alter reality. God and God alone can speak things into existence. So we're going to pray and then we're going to read our passage together and see if we can't get a really good understanding of what faith is. Pray with me. Lord, I would ask that you teach us today. Uh, Father, there is There's misunderstanding of faith that causes people to feel guilty about things that are not sin. Uh, We try to teach people to have faith in faith. And Father, that's useless. We need to have faith in what you say and in your character. So Lord, um, again, as I I mentioned earlier, even uh, a a Southern Baptist pastor who's well-educated and has has his doctorate doesn't didn't at that time he was talking to me understand what faith is. So Lord, this is widespread and we need to nail it down. We need to understand it. And then we need to be strong in the real faith. So Father, I pray that you would teach us this morning in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's look in Luke 9, starting in verse 37. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain... A great crowd met him. And you remember last week we talked about Christ's glorious transfiguration up on the mountain. And, uh, you know, Peter said, hey, let's, let's build some tents and stay here. <laughs> and we could sort of understand that impulse, right? Because everything was glorious and awesome there. And then they come down from the mountain into the valley. And we're going to see things are not as good there. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, teacher. I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples. Jesus said to his disciples... All right, so, oh, faithless and twisted generation. Let's talk about that for a minute. So we see that Jesus was at the point where this man had come, and he said, this is my son, it's my only son, and he is being destroyed 
by this demonic presence that is doing these horrible things to my son. He is crushing him. He's throwing him down. Uh, we read in one of the other accounts that he's trying to throw him into the fire. He's trying to throw him into the water. And there were open fires all the time there because they had to cook on those open fires. And, uh, and Jerusalem gets very cold. It's at a high alt- uh, elevation. And so there were these open fires and, and the demon would try to take this kid and throw him into the fire. And so the parents had to watch this kid all the time. And it said he's been afflicted since his youth. And water. Uh, You know, there were wells there and pools. And whenever the demon saw an opportunity, he would try to kill the kid by by throwing him in the water. Now, that sounds like a horrible situation that this man had been living with for a long time. And yet he comes to Jesus and says, help. And what does Jesus say? He says, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. Now, what's going on? Is Jesus reprimanding this father? And if he is, why? I mean, if that were the case with me, I would have come to Jesus and I would have asked him to heal him too, right? If a a demon was tormenting your child, uh, wouldn't you ask Jesus to heal him? I mean, any of us would. Jesus is not rebuking the father. He's rebuking these disciples who could not cast out the demon. And I'll prove that to you in a few minutes. But why was he rebuking them? Well, let's go back to what Jesus told them when he sent them out. In the very beginning of this chapter, in in, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over, what? All demons. And to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So here's the crux of the question. What did Jesus say regarding the power and authority he was giving them? He gave them power over all demons and all sicknesses. Well, except the really tough ones, right? No, that's not what Jesus said. He said, I've given you power and authority over all demons. Now, Matthew will shed a little more light on this for us, and we'll see why I'm telling you that he was really rebuking the disciples and not the Father. Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20, this is the same exact account from Matthew's gospel. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son for he has seizures and he suffers terribly for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And here is the key to what he's saying about faith. He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now he's using using mountain the kind of in the method of speech that we would say. We would say, don't make a mountain out of a molehill, right? We we understand that a mountain is a big issue. So Jesus is saying, hey, even with a really tough, huge challenge. You can, if you'll have a little bit of faith, 
move those mountains. So here in verse 20 of Matthew 17, we see that Jesus was not rebuking the boy's father, but the disciples for their lack of faith. Now, it's critical that we see the disciples weren't required to work up enough power in themselves to cast out this extremely violent and powerful demon. The thing they failed to do that frustrated Jesus. I mean, you can sense the frustration that Jesus is. He's like, man, how long do I have to put up with this? Because he is so frustrated that these guys don't believe him. What have they seen him do? (laughs) They have seen him cast out demons. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him uh, feed a multitude. They personally had cast out demons and healed the sick. He sent them out and they, they had faith. They had faith. They had experience. They had the power. They had everything they needed. And yet when they came up to this particularly challenging demon, they said, oh, well, we can't do it. So Jesus is, I believe, frustrated here because he's saying, man, what else do you need to see before you believe what I'm telling you to do? He said they not only could have cast out this demon, that was the purpose for which he sent them out. But they didn't believe him. They didn't believe they could do it. So I hope you're seeing what faith actually is. Faith is believing God. Not merely believing in God, but believing God. Now, let's talk about healing again for a moment, because this is important that we understand this. Um, There are people in here who love sick people. There are people in here who are sick, and we need you to have a proper understanding of faith. Now, can I believe God for a miraculous healing in my life? Well, not unless he tells me that I'll get one. Now, I pray for many of you often who suffer with cancer and other things. We got some Christmas music playing somewhere. Uh, I pray for you. Uh, and some of us have big issues we're dealing with, like cancer and like other debilitating diseases. And I pray for you. I pray believing that God can heal you immediately and completely. Do I have faith that he will do so? I have faith that he might, okay? But he hasn't told me that it is his will will to heal any specific person in here. Now, if he did, I would call you on the phone and I'd say, let's get together and celebrate. (laughs) Because I know you're not healed, but that's okay. God specially revealed to me that he's going to heal you. And I believe him. Don't you believe him? Yes, let's celebrate right now. But consider this passage in John 17, 24, this is Jesus praying. And Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So let's say that I am praying for you to be healed, for your cancer to go away, And for you to be okay or any other malady you want to put in there. I'm praying that. That's my will. Now let's say Jesus is saying, Father, I desire that they whom you've given me may be here with me where I am to see my glory. Now which prayer is God going to answer? (laughs) He's going to answer the prayer of his son, Jesus. And if I get on the same page, then he'll answer my prayer as well, right? It's not my will that controls God. See, that's why I'm telling you, 
you need to have all the faith in the world that God can heal you. And if he were to tell you specifically, I'm going to heal you, throw a party because it's a done thing. But until we know that that's his will, we can simply pray in faith that he can accomplish it. And guys, we see way too many folks feeling guilty about not having enough faith to change God's mind and to bend God to our will. That's not how it works. No amount of faith can do that. And that is misplaced faith. That's faith in our power, not his power. So faith is believing what God said, not what we wish God would say. Now, I really hope we all understand the difference um, because one is positive thinking, maybe with some religious overtones, and the other is the faith that pleases God. I do need to add that faith is not only believing God, it's also acting based on what God said. Jesus would not have been happy with the disciples if they believed they could cast the demon out, but they just didn't. I mean, if they went to this situation and they said, hey, I know I can cast this demon out, but I'm not going to, right? That wouldn't have been pleasing faith. Pleasing faith was, Jesus said I can do this. He told me I have the authority and the power to do this. And based on my understanding of who he is and his character and his power, I have no doubt I can do this. And then do it and set this guy free. Let's look for further understanding of faith in that great chapter on faith, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 uh, verses 1 through 3 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And this doesn't mean hope as in, well, I hope I'll get a new car. (laughs) He's saying that this is faith in something that has not yet happened. You know God has said it, but it's not actually occurred yet. That is what this faith is. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen yet. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So he's saying, look guys, what faith is, is taking God's word for it. God said, here's how I created stuff. And we go, okay, well God said that's how he created stuff. So now I believe that's how he created stuff. I didn't see it. I didn't witness it. But I placed my faith in what he said happened. If we go on to verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. Abel believed God when God said, Here's what I want. Here's the kind of worship that I want. He believed God and obeyed him. And he he not only believed right, but he acted on his belief by offering that acceptable sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now that's pretty important, isn't it? He pleased God and had his own private rapture. He must have been very pleasing to God. Why was he pleasing? Because he believed God and acted accordingly so much that he was commended as having pleased God. Now, how do you please God like this? I'm glad you asked because the next verse tells us. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So, it's not only that you believe Him, that you believe that He exists, that's certainly a required first step, but then you believe what He says and you seek after Him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah spent 150 years building a boat for a coming flood. Now, it had never flooded before. It had never even rained before. God told him that he would. And so what did he do? He believed him and he acted on his belief. I hope we're seeing a pattern here, guys. You may say, dude, I I get it. I get it the first time you say it. Well, most people don't get it. So we're going to talk a little bit more because we need to understand that faith is not trying to get God on our page. Faith is saying, okay, I believe what you say and I'm going to act on it. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, He went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So God said, Abram, come on. And he said, where are we going? I don't, you'll find out later. Come on. (laughs) And what did he do? He believed him and he got up and went. And then he went to the promised land and he didn't get all the blessings that God told him he was going to get yet. But he told his sons, hey, God has given us this blessing. And so believe in God, be faithful to God, and he'll give you this blessing. And so then we see generation after generation, they believed God, and eventually they inherited the promised land. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past that age since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Now, she gets in trouble for laughing, doesn't she? We all talk about that. But at the end of the day, she heard God and she believed God. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. All right, this is an amazing story. Abraham was told, this promise is going to come through this son. And then he's told, kill this son. So Abraham says, okay, God said the promise is coming through this son. Therefore, I'm going to kill him and God's going to raise him from the dead. Because that's the only way this can work together. (laughs) He says, God has promised and God cannot promise and fail to deliver on his promise. Yet he told me to do this other thing, so I'm going to do it. So we're not told in Genesis that that Abraham believes he'll be resurrected. But we are told here in a Holy Holy Spirit inspired passage that Abraham had such confidence in God that he said, well, this is the only way I can figure this is going to work out. But it's going to work out. And he believed God and acted on it. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. 
By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So you see that generation after generation, these folks kept believing the word of God and kept acting on it. Joseph said, hey, I'm going to die here in Egypt. But when you guys return to the promised land, not if you return, when you return, take my bones with you. Now, why did he believe that? Because he had been told that. Guys, that's the key this morning. We need to believe what God tells us, not just what we wish for. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because, he saw, because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, this faith was exercised not actually based on a specific word of God, but based on the principle that children are precious and children need to be protected. And we can't murder the children. We have to protect the children. And so that's what Moses' parents did by faith. They didn't get a specific word from God, but they had a very specific principle from God. And they said, we're going to act on that principle. They knew life was sacred and murder was evil. Now, this is kind of like Daniel. And, you know, when Daniel made that appointment with Nebuchadnezzar, and he didn't yet know the king's dream, but he said, hey, I'm going to make an appointment. And then when I go, I'm going to tell the king his dream and tell him the interpretation of the dream. And he went ahead and set that up. And, and then he went home and asked God to show him the dream, right? He was backed into a corner. I mean, he was at the edge of a cliff and he said, well, I don't have any other options. So here I go. I'm going to jump in faith. And God took care of him. And God took care of Moses' parents as well. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's an amazing statement of faith. He believed so much that he didn't see Jesus. He didn't hang out with Jesus and talk to Jesus. Well, he did later. He did last week, right? <laughs> the transfiguration. But he hadn't seen him yet. But he had the faith to endure as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So we see that Moses had amazing faith. Um, he, he looked forward to stuff he couldn't see because he knew the character of God and he believed the message of God. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now, guys, the dumbest thing you can do if you want a city to fall is walk around it, right? Because they're going to take stuff off the walls and they're going to throw it down on you. They're going to shoot arrows at you. They're going to kill you while you're roaming around the city. But by faith, they did this thing that seems dumb because God told them to. And as a result, we know that the walls came down and they captured the city because they not only believed God, they acted on what they were told. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So we see that hearing about God, hearing the message of God. Now God didn't speak to Rahab, but Rahab had heard of God. And on hearing, she believed the message that she heard. And then she acted 
on that by faith. So I hope you see that faith is not something you need to muster up on your own in order to get God to do what you ask him. Exercising faith is not at all about getting God to do your will. It's about you hearing from God, believing what he says, and acting on what he told you. Now, the first step is hearing from God. How do we do that? Well, you come here on Sunday and you hear from God because I don't have any original material that is good enough to to tell you that's going to give you life and going to help you have a worldview centered on the word of God. So I'm going to tell you what the word says. You also, of course, read and study your Bible. Now, I know that I say that all the time, but it's because it's really, really important that we remember to hear from God so that we can exercise our faith. So what do we do at the end of the day in order to exercise the faith that pleases God? We have to listen to what he says. Now guys, there's so many ways to do that. You can read your Bible. You can have your Bible read to you. You can go to Sunday school. You can go to small group. You can get uh, sermons delivered to your podcast device on your phone. You can listen to the world's best Bible teachers. Uh, even in history, you can, you can listen to sermons by Charles Spurgeon by having them, somebody will record them and read them and then you can get a podcast and you can listen to them. So you can listen to the world's best sermons ever preached. You can read your Bible. You can come to church and be exhorted by something that we trust God has given me to say, to tell you right now. So there are so many ways to hear from God, but we do have to hear him. We have to believe what he says just because he said it. We trust his character. Now, uh, some liberal theologians will say it requires a blind leap of faith to believe in miracles, for example. It doesn't require a blind leap of faith. Exercising faith, in my opinion, is the most rational possible thing you can do. So it's not that it's irrational. It's not that it's not based on facts. It's just that we've not yet experienced the things that we anticipate and the things that we have faith in. I have never died and been in the presence of of God. I've never been in heaven yet. But I have faith that I will be because I have faith in Jesus who said I would. And Jesus rose from the dead after being killed And we have tons of testimony that is very reliable. So you see how it's rational, but it's also an exercise of faith. Then we do what he says for us to do. I mean, again, let's look at Noah. God spoke. He said, Noah said, okay, I believe that God is going to wipe out all of humanity. Therefore, I act and I build the ark, right? So... There was listening, there was belief, and then there was acting on that. So folks, if, um, if you want to have me pray for you when you're sick, I will pray with faith that God can heal you. Now, I won't pretend that I can make him decide to heal you because Jesus said, hey, I pray to the Father and I ask that those who are mine come be with me. So so there's a time appointed for all of us when it's not God's will for us to get well because Jesus wants us with him, right? Well, that's not bad. That's a great thing. And I don't want to pray contrary to the word of God or the will of God. 
So faith, guys, is so important. It's just believing what God says, not what you wish he'd say. I know I've said that a few times, but man, is this important that you understand. So let's exercise our faith together as we pray. Let's take what the, what the Bible says and let's be completely sure of it. Let's take what the Bible tells us to do and let's exercise that faith. You know, I was saying earlier that if the, if the apostles had gone to this guy who was demon possessed and said, I know we can deliver this dude, we're just not going to. That would kind of be like us saying, I know that Jesus told me to carry out the Great Commission. And I know that I could give the message of life to somebody. But I'm just not going to. Right? Kind of the same thing. So we need to make sure that we are exercising what we have been told to do.